Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis 1-1. Maybe the most important scripture in all of the Bible, because what you believe about creation will inform and shape what you believe about life, the purpose of life, really uh, the state of humanity. What does it mean to be a human being? And what you believe about creation and the first few chapters of God's Word will definitely shape and inform what you believe about God. Hi, Alex McFarland, so honored that you're watching Truth and Liberty tonight. We've got a great show, a wonderful show, and a very informative guest, Simon Turpin, that you'll meet in just a moment. But I want to give you a little bit of information as we begin our time tonight. It's, it's really good to be back. I've been on the road traveling in Indiana. Uh, Arkansas, Virginia, South Carolina. It's been my joy over the last couple of weeks to be in front of many thousands of people, a lot of young people. And God has moved. We've seen souls get saved. We've seen a lot of people come to hear God's Word and pray. And I just want to say how much I appreciate Andrew Womack and Richard Harris and Dwayne Sheriff and all of the incredible people that are running Truth and Liberty. And uh, I missed everybody, and it's good to be back. It's good to be here tonight. Well, Simon Turpin and I are going to discuss creation and just the importance of it. And you might have a question, because in just a few moments, we'll open up the telephones and we'll get to some of your questions and comments. Now, this number, you might want to take it down. It's 719-619-2000. 319-619-2341 if you've got a question. And uh, let me encourage you, Truth and Liberty is is being used by God. Richard Harris and I were just in Washington, D.C. a couple of weeks ago, and we had the privilege of being at the Pray, Vote, Stand event, and there were a lot of great speakers. And then on Saturday, Richard Harris and I got to speak and make a presentation. And I just want to say a big thank you to people from all across America who came up to Richard and I, and they said they watched this program and they they appreciate the content because what it is, it's biblical worldview and the analysis of current events in our culture from the lens of scripture. And so for all the people watching, we thank God for each and every one of you. Let me encourage you, share this with friends, truthandliberty.net. Tell people about it, spread the word, and be a part of this movement that we believe God is raising up to help people not only know truth about culture, worldview, current events, but ultimately this is our prayer that people would know the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and that they would have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ themselves. Well, a ministry committed to do that is Answers in Genesis. It's been my privilege. I first met Ken Ham oh, I don't know, 96, 97. It's been, you know, 25 plus years ago when I was a youth pastor in North Carolina, and it was my joy to help bring Ken Ham to our city. 
And in, in the time that's gone by, Answers in Genesis has really become a worldwide phenomenon. The Creation Museum there just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, and of course, the Ark Encounter, which millions of people every year come to see, uh, uh, down to the last detail, a replica of Noah's Ark. It's amazing. But AIG is not just in America. They're around the world. And the leader of AIG UK, that's five really great alphabet letters, Answers in Genesis in the United Kingdom. It's Simon Turpin. He's an author. He's a creation expert. He's our guest tonight. And Simon Turpin, I want to thank you for being with us on Truth and Liberty tonight. But uh, even more than that, that, I want to thank you for what you do to spread the truth of God's Word and the true facts about the science of creation. So, Simon Turpin, welcome to the program. It's, it's wonderful to have you. Hi, Alex. It's really good to be on your program and to, to meet you. Thank you. Uh, indeed. You are uh, patching in from uh, London, is that right? Or somewhere in England? I, I'm actually in central England in a place called Leicester. It's um, where Answers and Genesis in the UK uh, have been based ever since the early sort of 90s, mid-90s. Yeah, so we've actually been here quite a while. I've been working for Answers in Genesis for about nine years now, uh, full-time in apologetics ministry. So, yeah. That's great. Let, let me ask you this, you know, because, you know, um, Charles Lyell and Darwinism and, uh, you know, life by means of natural selection, I mean, that really came out of Britain in the uh, 19th century. How is the, the biblical creation message received there in um, really the cradle of Darwinism? Yeah, I mean, the UK uh, has changed a lot since the days of, 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 you mentioned those men, James Hutton, Charles Lyell, who really came up with the idea of the great age of the earth. It, if it wasn't for those men, um, Darwin would never have been able to postulate his idea of evolution because he was basically building on the back of, of their work in geology. Um, and so if you go back to their time in the 1800s, and you were also around people like uh, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, and yeah. obviously Spurgeon was a great preacher, evangelist, and it was said at that time, in the 1800s, 18, around 1860, 1870, at least half of the UK would go to church on a Sunday, so 50% of the UK. Now, if you fast forward to 2023, it's not 50%, it's less than 4% of the UK uh, will be active in church on a Sunday. And really? So that's the, yeah, that's the state of the church. Um, it's dramatically fallen because, you know, evolution is taught as fact in government schools, obviously in the media, in the museums. People believe um, they evolved from ape-like creatures. They don't believe, obviously, in the God of the Bible or that God has revealed himself. And so the culture in, in Europe is very secular. It's mm. it's almost dead spiritually although it's become very pagan in its thinking. And so uh, for the church here, it's it's. Um, I wouldn't say it's on its knees because Jesus did promise that he would build his church and the gates of yeah. hell would not prevail against it. So the church is still active and alive. It's smaller than it used to be. Um, but yeah, and we can, but we see the great effect of the ministry of answers in Genesis um, in the church today. As I go around and travel across the UK and into Europe, um, people are really hungry for God's word and for answers to many of the questions that they face in the world today. Yeah, you, you know, uh, that, that really makes my heart heavy 
to think that less than 4% of people in the UK go to church on a given Sunday when, you know, uh, we Americans that are evangelical Christians, I mean, we love Charles Spurgeon. We love C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, and, you know, what we know of some of the, the great men of God that, that were raised up from out of Britain so many years ago, and to hear that Christianity has, uh, has eroded to such a degree, that, that, that's a very sad thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's tr tremendously sad. And it's because the church really hasn't woken up um, to the issues that are going on. Because if you go back to those days and, you know, you, you preachers like George Whitfield and Char Charles Wesley, if they went out into the culture, uh, they would preach and thousands, it was said, would come to Christ. Because when they preached and they spoke about God and they spoke about the cross and sin and repentance, people knew um, that terminology. If you said God to people, they obviously knew you were talking about the God of the Bible. Now, if I yeah. go out um, on a Saturday, I do with my church, and we go into the open air and we hand out tracts, we'll preach, that sort of thing. If you say God, then you're going to have to define what God you're talking about. You're going to have to define the God of the Bible. If you say sin, you're going to have to define sin. If you're going to talk about the gospel, you're going to have to define the gospel. Because I live in a culture where people no longer believe in the God of the Bible. They either don't believe in God or they'll believe in many gods or uh, they'll think God is a part of his creation. And so the culture has changed. And so as Christians, you know, we need to um, be able to speak into that and, and, and give an apologetic like Paul did, really. If you think about Peter and Paul and how they witness Peter in Acts 2, Peter speaking to a culture um, a Jewish culture who knew the Old Testament, who knew the sacrificial system, so they knew what sin was uh, and things like that. That was very much Charles Spurgeon's culture, but we don't live in that culture anymore. We live in the Apostle Paul. If we remember when he goes to Act uh, in to Greece, sorry, in Acts 17, and he speaks to the Greek philosophers, and they had a completely different worldview to the Jewish people, and they believed in many gods, or that God was distant and so far from the world. Um, that he couldn't be known. And that's the culture we really need, uh, that, that we live in today. And if you look at how Paul evangelized that culture, he didn't start um, with Jesus and the cross. He built a foundation for Jesus and the cross by appealing to creation, by appealing to that we all come from one man, Adam. And then that led him to be able to speak of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And that's where you see really um, in our culture today in Europe, when people will understand the gospel because you've given them a context to help them understand um, who the Lord Jesus is and why he came into the world. Indeed, indeed. Well, well, I want to say, and folks, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Simon Turpin of Answers in Genesis UK. Um, by the way, we're going to open up the phones for questions here in just a little bit. The number, if you have a question for Simon, and look, uh, anything, if, if you want to know uh, was there a literal Adam and Eve? Uh, can you be a born-again believer and believe in the first few chapters of Genesis? Literally, was there a literal flood? This is the night, folks. Look, any question you've got, we welcome that. Uh, please don't be shy. We'll give you a factual answer. But uh, whether you do believe in the Bible account of creation or you don't believe, maybe you think that we Christians that believe in Noah and the flood, I do. I believe in a global flood. I believe God created in six literal days. 
and rested on the seventh. If you think that is crazy, call us. Let's talk. Uh, Let's have an honest, open conversation. The number is 719-619-2341. Simon, uh, before we go too much farther, uh, websites, where can people find you online and and learn about not only your work, but Ken Ham and AIG at large? Yeah, so if people want to find us, um, answersandgenesis.org on the web, answersandgenesis.org, and you can find um, hundreds of articles there, thousands of articles, whether it's technical, whether it's for a lay-level audience explaining um, the biblical authority issues on creation, the flood, answers to common questions that we get asked about evolution, the age of the earth, you know, the flood, the fossils, ape men, you know, was the real Adam? All those sorts of questions will be answered on the web. So that's answersandgenesis.org. Right. So uh, let me ask you this. Um, Even Stephen Jay Gould, Stephen Jay Gould was uh, an atheistic evolutionist. Mm -hmm. He worked in the American Department of Education um, under the Clinton administration. And he, he really relentlessly fought to keep the creation message out of public schools. And in the media, he, uh, he said, if you don't believe in evolution, you're not doing science, that science is necessarily Darwinistic, secular. And then I actually, I was in a panel discussion in California about 15 years ago, I heard a recording of Stephen Jay Gould uh, off record. At, he was apparently at a function, and he admitted science doesn't have to be naturalistic. Science doesn't necessarily have to be secular. He said, but he had to say that to defend the foothold evolution has in public education. So um, the reason I share that is, uh, what what about this? That there are those that are the 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 ardent evolutionists, and then off record behind closed doors, they'll admit that it, it's a theory, not a fact. Um, there there is a a backstory that the public needs to know, isn't there, Simon? Yeah, I mean, if you go back again in history, and you go back to the time of the Reformation. Um, you, you, the, there was a reformation in theology with Martin Luther, but that really kicked off also a reformation in science because for a long time, the Roman Catholic Church had dominated and they really didn't get ahead in science because of the way they viewed the world. And so with Luther's reformation in theology, there was a reformation in science because people began to read scripture for themselves and they began to not only study God's word, but they began to study God's world. And science really came out of the Reformation. If you if you look at many of the founding fathers of science when it comes to physics, maths, um, geology, biology, astronomy, you're talking about men who are basically Christian, um, whether it's Copernicus, Galileo, Newton, um, James Clerk, Maxwell, Michael. Yeah, Gregor Mendel, Michael Faraday, these men were all Bible-believing Christians, and they had no problem with the Bible, and they had no problem with science. It wasn't until science uh, was really hijacked by the deists and the naturalists in the 1800s. We're talking about men, again, like James Hutt and Charles Lyell, who really didn't want God in their thinking, and they started to disassociate science with the God of the Bible. That 
basically it's only been for the last really 150 years that we've seen people say, well, science has nothing to do with God. It, it has to be explained in natural terms. And of course, that goes against the founders of science who all, or maybe not all of them, but the vast majority of them were Bible-believing Christians who believed in a, in a personal God, a God who, who ruled and, and reigned over creation, um, who, of course, created the world. And so when we think about science, um, we don't want to be intimidated by scientists today. Yet many of the scientists today may not believe in the God of the Bible, but if you go back in history, um, science came out of a Christian worldview, and you can't separate science um, from that worldview, because in order to do science, there are a few things that you need to believe. First of all, you need to believe the world is real, and the world is rational. And for every real and rational question you ask, there's a real and rational answer. Now, I can believe that, and so could those founding fathers of science, because they believed in a God who has revealed himself. But if you don't believe in that God, well, how do you know the world is real? How do you know the world is rational? And that you'll get real and rational um, answers to your questions. See, there are some people in the world, um, I spent uh, several months in India a number of years ago doing some missionary work, and there were people who would embrace uh, Hinduism, and they didn't believe the world is real. And so those men couldn't do science because in order to do science, those men believe the world is an illusion, right? Right. And so in order to, to do science, you have to believe the world is real. And so that is a faith position, and it's a faith position that's built upon the word of God. If you don't believe that, well, how do you understand and how do you know about the world? See, yeah. the Bible gives us the, the foundation for understanding the world around us. Absolutely. And, you know, um, piggybacking on that um, to do science, you've got to believe that the world is intelligible and like yeah. you say, real and you can uh, investigate and search and you can have questions and you can have objective answers. Do you know, um, there is an American sociologist and historian that I love to read. He just passed away one year ago. His name was Rodney Stark. He was a twice Pulitzer-nominated uh, historian. And Rodney Stark remarked in some of his books about how Christianity shaped the Western world, Christianity built Europe, Christianity birthed America and the idea of human rights and objective morality. Uh, Dr. Stark said not only science necessarily came out of a Christian worldview, at least a theistic worldview that believes in, in uh, an orderly God, but specifically yeah. a biblical worldview. But he, he also talked about the arts, like in the East, uh, mm -hmm where you believe that, you know, reality is an illusion or pantheism, there, there, there weren't key signatures. And the music, uh, it, it's, it's very unstructured, uh, very often just chaotic. And yet in Europe uh, came tuning, you know, pitch that mm -hmm. the orchestra tunes to an A, 440 cycles per second. So all of that to say this, Simon, and I'd love your response. Basically, the starting point of knowledge, the starting mm -hmm. point of literacy, even the starting point of the arts and aesthetics begins with the assumption that there is a God and reality is meaningful. 
And if you take away God and truth and life's purpose and objective reality, well, uh, the life itself just erodes into chaos, doesn't it? Yeah, that's that's a that's a great uh, way to think about it, Alex. In fact, I'm glad you mentioned Rodney Stark because I just um, had this book published, Adam the First and the Last, and in my chapter on science, in my chapter on science, I actually quote from uh, Rodney Stark. He's a wonderful um, uh, thinker when it comes to the history of science, and in the yeah. quote I show you in in the book that he actually says, yeah, it was the Christian worldview that brought about science. So it wasn't the Greeks, it wasn't uh, the Muslims, and it wasn't the Chinese. It was the Christian worldview. And so, yeah, it gives us a foundation, not only for science, as you were, as you were saying, but the arts of um, beauty. You know, what is beauty um, in an evolutionary worldview? How can you understand beauty? When you look at a peacock, and you see its plumage, you see its feathers. One thing you notice in its feathers is that they're amazingly designed. They're intrinsically designed. In fact, what you can see over time, uh, a friend of colleague of mine who's a, uh, the, one of the leading engineers in this country um, at Bristol University, Pre Professor Stuart Burgess, um, actually tells you that that the peacock's feather is degrading over time, which tells you it hasn't evolved. It must have been deliberately designed. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, if you if you don't believe in God, then what do you do with beauty? Because you can see beauty in the world all around us. Obviously, beauty tells us that there must be someone um, who made things beautiful. Yeah. You, you know, uh, I mentioned Stephen Jay Gould, the, the uh, atheistic evolutionary educator. Um, he wrote a book uh, about 10 years ago that I read. And he basically remarks uh, that you have to vigilantly remind yourself that you're not seeing design. I like now you and I know that, like you said, the beautiful plumage of a peacock. It's it's a beautiful artistic design. The functionality of the human body. There's yeah. there's design. There's specificity. Everywhere we look in the created world, uh, we we see design functionality. And yet Gould, who was pro-evolution, he said, basically, um, in his book, Tree of Life, which is a, a mess. I mean, honestly, yeah. folks, he, he said, uh, keep reminding yourself, it's not design, it's not design. And uh, here, here's my question for you. Why is it so incumbent on the evolutionist to argue for randomness when really all around us, we do see functionality and design. Yeah, well, a similar thing was said by a leading atheist professor in this country, and you've probably heard of him, uh, Professor Richard Dawkins, um, who yeah. wrote the book, oh, The yes. God Delusion. And another one of his books, The Blind Watchmaker, he, he wrote this, um, that biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of being designed. And... You have to ask the question, well, why does he say biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of being designed? Well, if it is designed, then the next question you have to ask is what? Who is the designer? And he obviously thinks God is an illusion, is a delusion. And so he doesn't believe in a designer, but he has to say when he looks at DNA, it is complicated. 
and it is you see intelligence there but he doesn't and, it, and, he, and he, he uses that language it gives the appearance of design because he doesn't want to say it is designed because if it is designed then you have to ask the question who is the designer now we would say obviously from a biblical perspective that the god of the bible is the is the creator because in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and he's left his stamp on creation when you look at dna it's obviously com complex it's coded it's coded information just as we are talking now um over the internet through two different laptops you know separated by thousands of miles in those laptops there's there's there's, there's information and that information didn't come by about um through random chance no someone designed these laptops that we're using they're, they're brilliantly designed so that we can use them we can talk from these long distances away and that's the same thing with dna dna yeah. is a complex coded um piece of information and information only comes from an intelligent source and so who is that intelligent source well we're saying actually it's it's the god who created the heavens and the earth father son and holy spirit um so mm -hmm. that that's the answer to that question indeed and you know even the very word complicated presupposes mm -hmm. uh something less complicated uh and you know uh if if it's complicated it had to have been intentionally ordered by mm -hmm. some outside causal agent we, we don't we don't see information arise from a non-intelligent source i want you to mention your book on adam adam first and the last. Uh, what's the premise of that book, Simon? Well, um, the premise of the book is that if, if, if you destroy the first Adam, which sadly is going on in Christianity today, then you destroy the foundation of the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because hmm. sadly, Alex, over the last 10 years, we've, we've witnessed um, a number of books being published by evangelical Christians who, because they've been influenced by the philosophy of evolution and millions of years, they have either rejected a historical Adam or they reinterpret Adam as something other than the first person that God supernaturally created. Now, what we need to realize, because many Christians will say, well, is Adam important? Well, if you remove the first man, Adam, then why do you need the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you deny that first Adam, then you do away with the foundation of our Lord Jesus Christ even coming into the world. Why do you need him to come in? Because why did Jesus come into the world? He came to save sinners. And what did he do? He died a death on the, an atoning death on the cross. Well, if Adam didn't exist, then what is sin? And why was Jesus dying on the cross? Yeah. And so this issue of who Adam is, is vitally important. And we need as Christians to take a bold stand on this because we have too many people in the church today saying this is unimportant. But if you look, and this is what I try and do in the book, I try and show people, if you pull a thread of Adam out at the beginning, then what you do is you really unravel all biblical doctrine that's tied to Adam um, throughout Scripture. Yeah, and and also, and and listen, uh, I've dialogued with so many people like this as well, Simon. I, you and I, I, I would probably believe you and I have had similar ministries and similar path pathways on our journey. But um, when people throw out a literal Adam and Eve, uh, very very likely that they're going to have a, a fuzzy view 
if not a, a wildly unbiblical view of Genesis 3. There, there was not a literal fall. And if there's yeah. not a literal fall, then why do we need a literal Savior? And when we come back, we've got a brief break. But folks, let's talk about the connection between what you believe about creation and what you believe about salvation. And if God is not a part of our past, why is he a part of our future or our present? Listen, if you can't trust what God says about our beginnings, what do you, why do you trust what God says about eternity? Very important yeah. stuff. My guest, Simon Turpin of Answers in Genesis in the UK. He's the executive director. He's our guest tonight here on Truth and Liberty. By the way, if you want to call in, 719-619-2341. We're back after this. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. With practical government, you have experts in the fields that are sharing their perspective, wisdom, and experience. It's not available anywhere else in the world. We teach biblical worldview. We're going to teach a Christian heritage of our American government. They're going to learn about the Founding Fathers. We're teaching the Constitution, how government operates, practical skills, and field study. There's no better place on earth to get equipped than Karis. You know, God's not done with us. He's not done with America, and He's not done with you. So many people come into practical government school and they're scared because it's the mountain of government. But you know what? They come out so strong and that is so amazing. No matter where you're coming from, the world needs you. Whatever God's calling you to do, you're able to do it. To learn more, visit practicalgovernmentschool.com. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here along with my very special guest, Simon Turpin of Answers in Genesis UK. We're going to resume our conversation with Simon here in just a moment, and we're going to take your calls. If you've got a question about science and scripture, creation versus evolution, uh, the number is 719-619-2341. Hey, by the way, the website, truthandliberty.net, truthandliberty.net. Uh, we create content, we write articles. Uh, attorney and author, Pastor Richard Harris, posts so much good stuff there. If you go to truthandliberty.net slash subscribe, uh, we'll keep you up to date. All of the content that we create, you'll get emails and notifications. We would encourage you to go to truthandliberty.net and be a subscriber. Uh, get what we're what we're doing and why this matters, we're talking about, yes, the gospel, salvation, but we're talking about culture, biblical worldview, government, morals, the state of the family, the state of the youth, Christian education, and yes, apologetics. Apologetics is not apologizing, but it's how you can defend your faith. It's rising to the challenge of 1 Peter 3.15, which says, be ready always. 1 Peter 3.15 says, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart and be prepared. Be ready always to give an answer to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that you have. 
Do this with meekness and fear or gentleness and respect. So apologetics is a discipline for our times and truth and liberty, we believe, is at the forefront of being used by God to equip the church to present, explain, and defend the Christian faith. Go to truthandliberty.net slash subscribe. One more thing that I would share before we resume our conversation with Simon Turpin. If you need prayer tonight, maybe you're listening to this and you're talking about uh, or you're hearing about Jesus. We, we are telling you that the Bible calls him the second Adam. The first Adam brought death. But Jesus, the second Adam, by dying on the cross and rising again, he gives life and forgiveness. And we often say this, that Jesus is as close by as a prayer. He really is. If you need prayer tonight, you want to talk to somebody and just uh, a listening ear, but somebody from God's Word that will show you the answer to the issues that you're facing. Here's the number for prayer. It's 719-635-1111. 719-635-1111. If you need prayer, we invite you to call that number. But now, my guest, Simon Turpin, uh, can you give that uh, website again, Simon. You mentioned a website earlier in the program. What is that? Yeah, you can reach us, uh, the Ministry of Answers and Genesis, uh, answersandgenesis.org. That's dot, um, answersandgenesis.org. Yeah. Okay. You know, we've already got uh, about 11 or 12 questions that have come in online. And, um, but before we go to the, first, the questions, though, uh, your books, uh, like your book on Adam and all of the resources you've created, where can they find those, Simon? Yeah, you can find my book um, on Adam, again, at answersandgenesis.org. You can go there to the web store, or you can go to Master Books. Uh, Master Books are the publisher, so you can find it there. Also on Amazon, it's it's available on Amazon. But um, yeah, you can find it at Answers and Genesis. All my web articles, if you go to my bio page there, you'll see a number of articles uh, that I've written on numerous topics, whether it's um, biblical creation, the flood, um, the deity of Christ, um, uh, the Trinity, things like that. I've written a number of articles on, the, on lots of those issues. Uh, by the way, folks, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the Ark Encounter. Thursday night, October 26th, I'll actually be there. Ken Ham, the founder of AIG, is going to be giving a lecture and uh, the American Family Association that has the American Family Radio Network. Uh, I'll be there. I'll be speaking on Friday, October 27, there at the Ark. Uh, but if you want to join us there, uh, seek me out. If you happen to come to the Ark on Thursday, October 26, or October 27, I'd love to meet you. Uh, let us know that you're a Truth and Liberty listener, and that would be a joy. Folks, I cannot overstate how good the Ark Encounter is. It's been my privilege to go to the Creation Museum, I don't know, eight or ten times, been to the Ark three times. Uh, Simon, speak to that, if you would, for a moment. Uh, uh, it, folks, it, it's, I promise you, it's way better than you can imagine. It is so well done. Um, Simon, why is the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter why do you believe it's very significant and something everybody should see? Well, apart from the world-class attractions, Alex, they present the gospel. They present the truth of God's word. And, you know, as we 
both live in ever-increasing secular culture, and we need to explain the gospel um, as the Bible does. It, it starts at the beginning. It starts with its foundations at the beginning, and that's what the guys, uh, my colleagues in the U.S., where you guys uh, obviously now are, um, that's what they try to do at the Creation Museum and, and the Ark Encounter. They try and help people understand what the Bible is saying, um, starting in the book of Genesis, and so they answer um, many of the world's leading questions when it comes to how do we know there is a God, uh, what evidence is there for creation, what evidence is there for the flood, how did the fossils form, um, you know, answers on death and suffering, on the age of the earth, all these sorts of questions. If you go to the museum, the Creation Museum, the Ark Encounter, they'll be answered, and the exhibits there, and secular media have commented on this, that they're world-class exhibits and so the guys who designed them have done a, an amazing outstanding job and i would recommend if you haven't been and you want to make time to to go to to kentucky and visit the ark uh, the ark encounter and the creation museum yeah uh th they really are good and uh folks uh will will say that again i mean if you can go maybe you're not a christian and may, mm. maybe the idea of the Bible and Genesis and Adam and Eve in the garden and the serpent, the flood of Noah. Maybe you think that's some fairy tale or something. I, I don't. I believe it's literal truth. I really do. But maybe if you've got questions about that, go. Just, I feel like you owe it to yourself, folks, even as a non-believer, to look at both sides. You know, Simon, uh, several years ago, as I'm sure you're probably aware, Bill Nye, the, uh, he is professionally known as Bill Nye, the science guy, although I think a lot of what he says is not terribly scientific. <laughs> but uh, he debated Ken Ham. But do, do you remember prior to him debating Ken Ham, he just drove in the parking lot of the Creation Museum, didn't even go in the building, took a photo of the building and drove away Um and how could he possibly say that he had objectively looked at the evidence when initially he didn't even go in the building and yet wanted to say that uh, AIG's message was not scientific and all of that? All of that to say this, Simon, very often, um, is it fair to say that the evolutionary advocates, they've not really even looked at the empirical evidence for the biblical account of creation, have they? Yeah, many, sadly, many evolutionary scientists or, you know, leading atheists of the day, they don't really even take the time to read the Bible, um, to look at leading creation arguments of the day. Um, they often misconstrue what's in the Bible or misconstrue um, what biblical creationists believe. And that's, that's not because we, we haven't been out there speaking about these things or you can't find answers um in books or on the website because um you, you can find le you know leading books and articles on the website that deal with the most common questions that we get asked and answers to to these questions and up-to-date research whether it's in geology astronomy biology genetics all of these issues and um, we um cover but sadly many evolutionists really don't want to interact because it, it, then they have to face the reality that actually creation scientists have done really good science and they've answered oh, yeah. um objections but they've not only answered objections they they've built models which is what you're meant to do in science and they've shown actually those models fit 
um, with what we observe in the real world. In fact, one of my colleagues at AIG, Dr. Nathaniel Jensen, over the last couple of years has written some really good books, Replacing Darwin, um, The New Origin of Species, and his latest book, Traced, how he looks at DNA and shows you that you can actually trace your ancestry through DNA because DNA has left its stamp on history. And in that book, he shows you how you can explain the different people groups in the world all going back um, to Noah and his three daughters who came off the ark, Noah's family. And so, yeah, if you're looking for books that will help you with the, those tough questions, people like Dr. Nathaniel Jensen have done some leading research in these areas. Well, and, and there are PhDs in every discipline, biology, oh, yeah. chemistry, paleontology, uh, physics, uh, in every scientific discipline, all the branches of science that mm -hmm. are Christians, that are Bible-believing Christians and believe not only in creation, but a literal six-day creation as the book of Genesis lays out. Um, and isn't it fair to say that the ranks of those, the numbers of those that, that hold, earn doctorates and believe in creation as the Word of God lays it out, those numbers are growing, aren't they? Oh, yeah, growing all the time. And some of these people are coming from leading universities. Like I said, Dr. Nathaniel Jensen, who's my colleague in the U.S., um, he he was trained at Harvard University, one of your leading uh, universities. Um, some of my colleagues in, in the UK um, are, are leading professors uh, in universities over here. Um, Professor Andy McIntosh, who um, was at a famous university here. Professor Stuart Burgess, who actually Ken Ham played a clip of during the Bill Nye debate to, to show you that actually there are Christians who are leading scientists who do real science. Um, and there's another colleague of mine, Steve Taylor, um, who's doing some really great work in um, soft tissue research, um, the whole issue of dinosaur soft tissue at Liverpool University. These guys are leading scientists in their field. And, you know, that's not just in, in the UK, it's in America and all around the world, the creation scientists who are doing some tremendous research. Uh, speaking of soft tissue and folks, this is huge. Uh, this is huge because, you know, Simon, you know, going to public school as I did um, and then mm -hmm. going to public university in my first undergrad program, you know, evolution was drilled into me. The earth is millions of years old. Well, I saw not long ago the footage that was on the American news program, 60 Minutes, Dr. Mary Schweitzer at NC mm -hmm. State University. Um, that's an hour from here. My dad did his undergrad in agribusiness there. My dad went to one year of veterinary school there. But at NC State, North Carolina State University, Dr. Mary Schweitzer, and, and I really know nothing about her spiritually. I'm not speaking at all to her beliefs about the Bible. I don't know that. But have you seen the, the footage that I mean is jaw-dropping of her doing yeah. uh, tissue samples of dozens and dozens and dozens of fossils thought to be millions of years old, and they saw them open, and there's, there's blood cells, soft yeah. tissue. It is amazing, isn't it, Simon? Oh, it is outstanding. And just to comment on Mary Schweitzer, I do believe she is a Christian. Um, she holds to an old earth creation model. Um, okay. But yeah, when she 
when she um, found those blood cells, she was amazed and so were her colleagues. And so she couldn't believe that she could look at the the, the, the designers, dinosaur bone she'd found and she found soft tissue and she could pull it um, with you know tweezers and it was springy, it was soft and there were blood Moist. cells in it. She was amazed. And some of her colleagues were like, no, that's that's just not true. That can't be. And she went back, did the research again, and she showed it to other people. And they were, yeah, this is this is true. And so there's been a lot of give and take in, in um, the, 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 the science um, departments over this because people won't let go of their evolutionary worldview, their long ages. And people have, have done numerous tests to show actually um, that the soft tissue there, uh, it, it, it has to be young rather than old because soft tissue blood cells wouldn't last in dinosaur bones that are supposedly 65 million years old because even evolutionary scientists would say, look, the, the collagen, it, it, it wouldn't last up to even 5 million years. It, it, it wouldn't, it would have all disappeared and so what it tells you, there's a limit on the on the age of the dinosaur bone. It's not as old as people think. In fact, it fits with what we believe about the biblical worldview, about dinosaurs being contemporary with man, being created in God's world. And it fits the biblical creation model. It's a problem for the evol evolutionary model of the history of the world. Right. Um, the, the film footage, um, and folks, I, I've urged hundreds of people to go look at it because I'm afraid they'll take it down off of the internet. I, I don't know. But uh, 60 Minutes and several other hmm. documentary shows have the footage of Dr. Mary Schweitzer. And, uh, you know, Simon, I, I've got to say, I mean, I was speechless when I saw it because it is just the undeniable right there in front of you, you can't argue with it, that there is this moist tissue. And I think, yep. you know, the everybody would say, oh, my goodness, this cannot be millions of years old. You've seen that footage, I'm sure, haven't you? Yeah, I've got foot. I use that footage in some of my talks when I do them on dinosaurs. In fact, what people need to realize, it's not just one dinosaur bone that Mary Schweitzer found. She She did find it originally, but since then, um, numerous dinosaur bones have been found all around the world with soft tissue in them. In fact, one of my uh, colleagues here or friends here who works for another ministry um, found a dinosaur bone um, that had collagen in it. And again, that's amazing. You shouldn't expect to find those things if the world is millions of years old. The fact that you do find them is, again, evidence that the world is probably not, well, it is not millions of years old. Right. Um, well, here's a question that's come in online. Uh, what is the fallacy of carbon dating? Could you speak to the issue of carbon dating? Is it trustworthy? Uh, is it used rightly or wrongly? Uh, bring us up to speed on that, please, Simon. Yeah, I mean, carbon dating, uh, many people think that that proves millions of years. Actually, it doesn't because the half-life on carbon dating is around 5,700 years. So you're not going to get, evolutionists won't date things that they believe are millions of years old with carbon dating. They'll they'll use um, other dating methods, whether it's potassium argon or, or uranium to lead, other, other models like that for long ages of the earth. But actually, when we think about carbon dating, you, you actually find carbon still in dinosaur bones a colleague of mine as i mentioned him steve taylor has done 
um, lots of work on this on carbon being found in dinosaur bones. Again, if carb uh, if dinosaur bones are meant to be millions of years old, you shouldn't have carbon in them anymore because the half life um, is around five thousand seven hundred years, as I said, and so it, you shouldn't find any traceable carbon in um, the dinosaur bones. Yet you do. You also find um, carbon in um, diamonds. And diamonds are the hardest material known to man. That, again, meant, that are meant to be formed millions of years ago. And again, why would you find carbon in diamonds if it was millions of years old? There's been no contamination in these things, and yet you can still find traceable carbon in there. Again, it disproves or it's evidence against those long ages. But carbon dating actually is a friend to biblical creation. It's still a problem to um, evolutionary ways of thinking, because in many ways, it disproves those models because you can find detectable carbon in things like diamonds and um, in dinosaur bones. But if you want long ages, then it's um, th th there are different dating methods out there that people use to try and get uh, evidence for millions of years. In the history of, of science, isn't the, the old earth assumption, a relatively new assumption, the idea that the earth is billions of years old, um, didn't that sort of arise out of the, the position of 19th century um, evolutionists that, well, because we don't observe evolution happening, it must have taken a really, really, really long time, and they just kept mm -hmm. adding years onto the, onto the uh, argument that the old Earth position, it, it wasn't um, supported by visible evidence, but it was just a, a, an assumption that yeah. if we give it enough time, surely, maybe, probably, evolution must have happened. Yeah, and it was assumption on the part of scientists in the 1800s, late 1700s, um, again, who were, were not Christian in their thinking, they were deists, um, and they tried to view the world separate from God, the God of the Bible, and basically they were they were appealing to the rock layers that the rock layer because the rock the idea of the great age of the earth came from the fossil record and it was people like james hutton and charles lyle who believed that those rock layers weren't laid down because of the flood but were laid down slowly over millions of years and so that really um, was the starting point to get rid of um the biblical worldview in fact charles lyle is on record. Charles Lyell was an amateur geologist, but he was a professional lawyer, so he was a clever man. And he wrote in a letter to a, a member of parliament here in the UK that his aim was to free the science of geology from Moses. Obviously, Moses is the, the author of the Torah, um, which includes Genesis <laughs> on creation and the flood. But here's yeah. the interesting thing, Alex. Although that's the modern view of the age of the earth you can go back to the time just after the the apostles into the second century after the apostles have died out there's the there's the, there's a growing church in the second century and there's a man by the name of uh theolophus of antioch who's a second century church father and he's arguing with a pagan called um autoclitus and he's debating him on um, the, the history of the world, because Autoclitus was a pagan, he believed 
um, in, in, in the Greek worldview. And he was saying, look, the, the, the Bible gives us this short timeline. It's, it's you guys who have these eons and eons of history. Um, and the Bible contradicts that. And so this, this issue of the age of the earth actually isn't sort of something that's relatively new because Christians have always had to deal, deal with this because if you don't believe in the God of the Bible, then the gods of ancient Greece, the gods of Rome, the gods of the Egyptians believe the world was eternal. And so they had sort of this evolutionary worldview and early Christians were having to deal with that. And they, people like um, Theolophysus of Antioch were actually appealing to the Bible to disprove, appealing to Genesis to disprove their long ages um, of the Greeks. Well, you know, in our own country, secular humanism came about in the early 20th century and they were, uh, you know, people like H.L. Mencken and John Dewey John Dewey, mm -hmm. who horribly wrecked public education. Uh, if, if you look at Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, who basically uh, is, is the mother of modern genocide through abortion, a lot of these people, uh, and they realized they were creating a new religion. They called it secular humanism, but they believed that the universe was eternal. Uh, and part of mm -hmm. it, they, they rejected not only God and creation, but they rejected the idea that the universe even had a beginning. And so it's interesting you would say that, like many of the, the Greek pagans, this assumption that the universe is eternal, well, we know that's not biblical, but science itself doesn't support that, does it? No, because of things like the law of entropy, we know the universe um, yeah. is wearing down. You can see the, the, the laws of thermo, thermodynamics, you know, matter is breaking down basically and if it's breaking down obviously it can't be eternal it must have had a, a beginning point and so yeah that idea of an eternal state of the universe there's the very few scientists who who would hold to that today most scientists would believe in the big bang that the, the universe had an origin according to them because they're naturalists 14 billion years ago and so most people most scientists today would have would argue that there was a beginning to the universe and we would agree with that but we would disagree with when that beginning was because we don't believe it was 14 billion years ago we would believe it was, according to the chronology in the bible it was roughly about six thousand years ago right well we're going to go to our first call and folks if you're just tuning in alex mcfarland here along with simon turpin of answers in genesis in britain and the uk aj in Colorado. AJ is a subscriber, uh, and we thank you, AJ, for being a subscriber. Thank you for listening to Truth and Liberty. Uh, what is your question for Simon and myself tonight? Hey, Alex and Simon. Thanks for having me on. I was wondering, since science is more of an observation and um, you, you learn things based off of observation, right? Why are we using that to prove a supernatural God? Okay. Okay. Uh, Simon, yeah. uh, what, what, how do you begin to answer this? That's a great question. And I would say that we were not trying to use science to prove God because you can't, because you, you made a, a, a good observation there because God, um, the Bible tells us in John four twenty four, Jesus said, God is spirit and we must worship him in spirit and truth. God is not um, material. He's an immaterial being. So you can't use science 
um, which looks for material answers uh, at the material world for answers um, to find God, because God can't be observed through through a microscope. He can't um, be observed through our, our five senses in, in that direct sense. And so, yeah, what we're saying with science is that science actually confirms what we read in the Bible, and it confirms things like creation and the flood. You can't prove God in 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 an ultimate sense through science because science is is limited in in what it can achieve. Because science can only look at the material world, while the God of the Bible is outside of the material world because He created the material world. But what we're actually saying is that science um, doesn't prove the Bible, but it confirms what we see, and what we see is an intelligence behind the universe. Uh, great question, AJ. And, you know, Simon, when I read Psalm 19, that begins in the following way, it says, the heavens and earth bear witness to the glory of God, yep. or declare the glory of God. Um, you know, I've been around the world, and I've been in the interior of Africa, and I'll never forget, Simon, I was talking to a bushman in Zambia, and he was gesturing and pointing to some mountains very far off on the, the vanishing point of the horizon. You could see these hills, and he was pointing to the sky, and I asked my interpreter, uh, what did he say? And this, this Zambian bushman said, I know there's a God because all of this had to come from somewhere, but but where do I go from there? And yeah. my heart was so moved because this man he had he had seen that creation must have a creator, natural mm -hmm. revelation. Uh, but his heart said, "There's got to be more." And of course, we we told him all about Jesus, and he ultimately, even in spite of a language barrier, prayed to accept Christ. But the, just the created world around cries out, there must have been a creator. Now, Simon, we're, we're about out of time uh, uh, on this segment. We're going to come back. We've got a brief break. We've got callers from South Carolina. We've got calls online. So, folks, questions online, rather. Stay tuned. Truth and Liberty is going to be back right after this. Our very special guest, Simon Turpin. Answers in Genesis. Don't go away. We're back after this. You were created with a purpose written in the heart of God. Long before you were born, He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience His unconditional love to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. Have you been praying about how to make your business your mission field? 
GospelTruth.tv business features leadership and financial stewardship training from industry experts. Learn the next steps to building wealth and using it to grow God's kingdom. Tune in Saturdays to GospelTruth.tv business and watch anytime with GospelTruth.tv premium. Visit GospelTruth.tv today for biblical teaching you can trust. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here. So honored that you're uh, watching and listening to our conversation with Simon Turpin of Answers in Genesis UK. Hey, before we return to the calls, and by the way, the number, if you have a question, it's 719-619-2341. Let me just say a word about supporting Truth and Liberty. You know, publishing, broadcasting, events, conferences. We've got a major conference in the spring that Richard Harris will be telling you about, the Another Truth and Liberty Gala. Um, the gospel is free. The gospel is free, but it does take resources to deliver this free message. And I want to encourage you to financially support Truth and Liberty. The, the website is truthandliberty.net slash donate truthandliberty.net slash donate. If you would give at least $5 a month, uh, a recurring gift of at least $5 a month, but I would ask you to prayerfully give your best, most generous gift. Uh, I promise you, and I, I hope you know this, we are committed to the fundamentals of God's Word. There is no Savior but Jesus. We teach the truth about marriage, morality, gender, creation, as the book of Genesis lays it out, we believe in a literal six-day creation. We believe in the literal flood. God judged this world. We believe in what the Bible says about life, God, salvation, and people are responding everywhere I go. I was just at Liberty University in Virginia. I was just in Arkansas and Indiana and South Carolina. People come up to me in the Atlanta airport and the Dallas airport, and they say, we watch Truth and Liberty. So folks, this is making an impact. Would you pray about, and even today, go online and give and donate, and please know that we will receive it gratefully and prayerfully and we believe faithfully we'll use your financial support to do good things and to spread the gospel. The one more thing that I would say is this, folks. Uh, I give God the glory, and even the Truth and Liberty crew doesn't know what I'm about to share, but the Biblical Worldview series that I've been working on with Karis Bible College and Andrew Womack Ministries there is in the, the United States an uh, organization called the International Christian Visual Media Awards, ICVM. And I just got an email a couple of days ago that our biblical worldview DVDs that are part of the teaching curriculum we've been creating through Karis Bible College, we've been nominated for an award. Every year they do a thing called the Crown Awards. And the Biblical Worldview series has been nominated for Best Documentary Series. It's a te teaching curriculum. But I give God the glory. We're going to be showing you some of the, um, uh, the content about our being nominated for an award. The ceremony is next February, I'm told. I don't know if we'll win, but we are a finalist now for the Best Series, our series on Biblical Worldview. So we give God the glory. We give God alone the glory. He's using what we're doing, and, and we thank you 
for your prayers and financial support. Well, let's go to South Carolina. South Carolina, uh, is it uh, Prisa or Prisa? Am, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Prisca. Prisca. What a beautiful yeah. name, Prisca. Well, thank you for holding and welcome to our conversation with Simon Turpin. Thank you. What's what's your question or comment, Prisca? So, as someone who went through public school and was taught all of the ungodly theories such as evolution, how should I respond or act um, when these thoughts are being taught to me and I have to actively learn about them and such? Hmm. Good question. Simon, yeah, what do you great... say? Um, the, the person I mentioned earlier, Dr. Nathaniel Jeanson, um, was explaining to me that when he went to Harvard University, before he went, because he knew um, that obviously Harvard was not a Christian college or university, that he would have to study really hard um, on, on the subjects he was going to take, especially on biology, evolutionary biology, and know those subjects better than all the other students because of his Christian worldview. And so he said he had to read um, numerous amount of books to 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 catch up on things, to understand um, the latest ideas out there in, in biology. And he did that, he said, and that helped him so much um, when he took his courses because he, he, he wasn't behind, he was up to date, he could answer um, the, the critical questions because he, he, he had understood what the, the position of the other side was. And that's what we need to do as Christians um, when we counter these different ideas, doesn't matter whether it's evolution or whether it's something like Marxism, socialism, we need to understand what um, people in the world are saying so that we can interact with them. You know, uh, Alex mentioned earlier the verse from 1 Peter 3.15 that we should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in it, but we're to do it with meekness and fear. And we're to answer for the hope that is in us. That's the hope of our Christian faith. But we also um, can be prepared to um, learn about other different ways of thinking so that we can answer them. You know, I live in a country where there's there's lots of, of Muslims now, and I've had to do my best to learn about Islam so that I can communicate the gospel to Muslim people. And so, you know, I have to work really hard in doing that. So that's what I would encourage you to do, Prisca, to just read up, um, not be intimidated by the, the teaching of the world, but read up on what they're trying to teach you, um, but combat that with what you read in the Bible and answers that have been given by good Christians in whatever subject you're going through. Mm. Good question. Uh, you know, Simon, I had to do that too. I became a Christian midway through my undergrad studies, and I had to, uh, to pass classes. I had to regurgitate answers mm -hmm. that I didn't really believe in my science classes. But, you know, in a way, it strengthened me because I, I did learn what the other side was thinking, even though I knew it conflicted with my biblical belief. But yeah. Prisca, let me say this, and Simon, I, I think you would concur. Over the last 30 years that, that I've been a Christian, the, the amount of incredible research and the resources 
uh, whether it be defending the Bible, defending the preservation of the biblical manuscripts, whether it be um, just uh, worldview, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam versus Christianity, and then especially in the, the sciences, the evidence for creation, the evidence for order and design, the evidence, yes, for a young earth. Um, I mean, there, there were some resources 30 years ago when I became a Christian. There was Josh McDowell, and there was Norm mm-hmm. Geisler. Uh, there was uh, The Early Earth by John Whitcomb, and there was a, a scientist named Henry Morris. But my goodness, Simon, if you would speak to this, don't we live in really the golden age of apologetics because there is such a volume of incredibly compelling research that points to the Bible, God, Jesus, and yes, the Genesis accounts of creation. We we really are living in a glorious time of apologetic content, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely, Alex. When you think about all the Christian material there is, not even if we just think about when it comes to um, creation and all the books that have been published over the last 10 years, whether it's geology, biology, astronomy, um, paleontology, all these different um, fields of learning, um, there's some incredible research that has gone out there. And one of the problems is, is not the lack of material, it's the fact that many people just don't get this material into either their hands or into the hands of others to to share it with others and that's what we need to do as christians you know we need to think about you know our friends our neighbors our relatives if if they're not christians how can i get some of this material into their hands because there's so much out there um that would be helpful for people to understand the context of the bible some of the 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 tough answers that that people are looking for whether it's the age of the earth evidence for the flood um evidence for the existence of god um there's so much out there and the problem is we're not lacking in material we need to get it into the hands of our unbelieving family and friends prisca did you have any follow-up question prisca are you there oh i'm not sure we still have the caller uh prisca uh did you have a follow-up question or comment for simon Okay. Well, we might have lost her. Folks, if you've got a question, it's 719-619-2341. Hey, um, let me change gears on you for a second, Simon, and I want to say how much I appreciate your time. There's just so much I want to ask you. Um, A lot of people don't realize this. I just recently bought a book. Now, I've not read it yet. It's by a a man named Dr. Sutton, it might be Mike Sutton. I don't know if he's a Christian mm-hmm. or not. I, I know nothing about his position. But it's basically, uh, the book is called Science Fraud, how Charles Darwin plagiarized um, uh, Patrick M- Matthew or something like that. Are you familiar with this book or are you familiar with the thesis that Darwin's um, Origin of the Species and Descent of Man, that he... Um, he basically plagiarized. Have you heard about this? Yeah, there's some evidence to suggest that Darwin wasn't original in, in some of his ideas, that the person who he is um, supposed to have plagiarized from, um, his his name has gone out of my head, 
Um, it's a bit late in the night for that here, but um, yeah, uh, he has. There's, there's, there's some truth behind that. In fact, there probably is very good evidence that he had um, taken some of his ideas from other people, and he just published it first. That was the problem. He had, yeah. he had seen this other uh, um, theory out there, and he 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 got it published first. He did, in fact, he wasn't original in what he was saying. And yeah, there's there's some evidence out there. So. Yeah, it, it, that, that that is true. And, and and a number of people have written on that. In fact, if you go to answersingenesis.org and type uh, Darwin and plagiarism in Edward Bly, that's his name, Edward Bly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the man who was meant to have plagiarized from. Blythe had these ideas of natural of natural selection and things, and Darwin is meant to have said to have taken um, Blythe's ideas, and he just got his his work published before Blythe. Yeah, but that 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 is probably true that he plagiarized from Edward Blythe. Uh, isn't that ironic? Um, a false worldview and a plagiarized account of a false worldview at that. <laughs> Yeah, indeed. That's but hey, Darwin was was rejecting God, and so who was he accountable to? Well, no one. If he could get away with it, he could get away with it, and so Darwin chose to do that. In fact, um, some of Darwin's Darwin's colleagues, people like Huxley um, uh, and others, his bulldog, his, his his preacher, basically of Darwinism, and um, were very immoral people, and they had no problem with with their immorality because they rejected God. And the rejected his truth of ex his existence, the fact that he had given us a law, and so in their minds, that they weren't doing anything wrong. They they were creating their own standard. We've got another question online here, uh, Simon. What evidence is there that creation occurred in a literal six days? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well. The first evidence that we have is that obviously people often don't think about that is the truth of God's word itself. That is evidence. Sure. God's word is a type of evidence. But what scientific evidence, if we're, if we're thinking about um, a young earth, well, um, if we're thinking about young earth and a flood, because remember the great age of the earth, um, the fact that people believe the world is millions of years old, really came because um, of that understanding of the fossil record being laid down over millions of years. Now, of course, if you believe that, then you would reject a global flood. But actually, um, the, there's, there's great evidence that the, the fossils weren't laid down over millions of years, but rather they were right, laid, laid down really rapidly. In fact, again, it's some of this recent research that's come out from one of my colleagues in the States, who's an Australian geologist, Dr. Andrew Snellen, and yes. he's been doing some work over at the Grand Canyon and specifically um, some of the rock layers in the corner sections of the canyon. Um, I think it's the East Kaibab monocline and there's some layers there of rocks in the corner section that laid down at a 90 degree angle that have been bent. And so the question is, yeah. how do you let, lay those, layer those rocks down bent at 90 degree angles slowly over millions of years because one of the things that's absent there because if you're going to bend rock then it, it needs to be heated there needs to be metamorphic processes but actually when you look at the rocks and dr snellen has done this he's shown that there's no metamorphic processes taking place so those rock layers would have had to be bent while they were soft in other words while they were still under the waters and then they were laid down rapidly and so that's great evidence of the flood and great evidence of 
a young earth, which is inconsistent with a a really old age um, of the earth. If you want to think about um, inter-astronomy, things like that, well, things like comets uh, are great evidence that the universe is not billions of years old because comets um, are made of icy material. And every time they go around the sun, they lose some of that um, icy materials. And so you can look at comets and and even secular scientists would say, look, there's an upper limit on comets. They could only last in the universe because they continually are losing that material on the comet about 100,000 years. That's an upper limit. That's the maximum age that they could last. And so that's obviously um, something they have to think about because they don't believe the universe is... 100,000 years old, they believe it's 14 billion years old. And so they have what we call a rescuing device. They they would say, well, out into the far reaches of the universe, there's something called an Oort cloud named after a Dutch astronomer, Jan Oort. And they would say that this Oort cloud, um, which you, which by the way is unobservable, no, one, no one's ever seen it, um, every so often throws comets back into the universe. And so we would say as creationists, actually, no, comets are a great evidence of a young universe because we know they can't last more than 100,000 years. But what we're saying is that evolutionary scientists have to come up with a rescuing device, a rescuing device, by the way, that is unobservable. You can't observe the Oort cloud. So it's it's just a postulate. It's just some theory they've dreamed up to try to prop up their old earth worldview yeah and so that's what they have to do because in each one of these things they'll try and come up with a comeback but you have to ask the question um do they have solid evidence for that no because you can't observe the ore cloud no one has ever witnessed it and and there are secular scientists who comment saying basically that that they there's no evidence for the ore cloud but they have to postulate it in order to answer the question of comets because we know Comets, you, you can't. They wouldn't last more than a hundred thousand years because they're continually losing that icy material that's on the back. Because every time they go around the sun, like I said, they lose it, and they can't last that long. So that's a confirmation um, that the world, the universe, isn't really old. It's consistent with a young age of the universe. Simon, let, let me ask you this, and I've had uh, questions along these lines from hundreds of of students over the years. What about the dinosaurs? Uh, Two-part question. Does the Bible say anything about dinosaurs? And secondly, how did did the dinosaurs go extinct? Great questions, common questions, Alex. In fact, um, people will, will often say that. Why don't you find the word dinosaur in the Bible? Well, if we think about the word dinosaur, the word dinosaur basically means terrible lizard, and it was invented... Um, by someone in my own country, England, a man by the name of Richard Owen. And Sir Richard Owen actually um, founded one of the most famous museums in all the world, the Natural History Museum in London. And he built that museum to house his collection of dinosaurs. And so he invented the word dinosaur in 1841. Now, when you think about And the most popular version of the Bible, the King James Bible, that wasn't um, published, first published until 1611. So there's a reason you don't find the word dinosaur 
in the Bible because it's a modern word. And yeah. it wasn't even around when um, the, the King James translated the, the word, uh, translated the Bible in the 1611. And so actually, it, so that's the reason why the word dinosaur isn't in the Bible. Um, but is there a word that would represent what is a dinosaur? Well, actually, the Bible uses the word dragon. And we would say um, dragons are basically dinosaurs of old. And there's there's dragons mentioned in the Bible. In fact, the most famous description of a dinosaur in the Bible, we would say, is uh, behemoth in Job chapter 40, because behemoth right. is this great beast that um, God um, uses to show Job just how great and mighty he is. And um, if you look at the description of behemoth, some Bibles will put in the footnotes, or maybe it's an elephant, or maybe it's a hippopotamus, but just look carefully at the description. It does not match an elephant or a hippo, because it, it says it has a tail like a cedar tree. Well, if you look at an elephant's tail or a hippopotamus tail, it's 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 not like a cedar tree. A cedar tree is a massive tree that grows in places like Lebanon, and that the, yeah. uh, uh, you know about thirty feet tall. And so, when you see that description of behemoth, we would say that's something similar to a sauropod dinosaur. And so, when did they go extinct? Well, that's an interesting question, Alex, because. Um, you can come to my country, and um, there is there's a place in the northwest of England called Carlisle, and there's a famous church there. It's a cathedral, and there was a bishop there in the 1400s, and he's buried in that cathedral. And if you go into the cathedral, um, his tomb's in the floor of the church, and round his tomb, there are uh, brass rings that go around his tomb and as you look on the brass rings that there are lots of animals carved into the brass rings you can recognize um that there's pigs there's dogs there's something that look a bit like rats and there's all these animals and then you get to the top section and you see what look like um dinosaurs really yeah and we i went in there with a colleague and we asked them, could you show us it? Because they've got it, they've now got it under carpet. And we said, could you roll up the carpet so we could see them? And um, so the person did, and they were showing us, and we were saying, Oh, look at that animal, look at that animal. And they were saying, Yeah, that's a that's a dog, that's um, you know, uh um a deer, and so on and so forth. And we said, oh, and we knew what was on there. So we said to them, Oh, what do you think that is? And they looked at it and they said, Oh, I don't know. And then they looked at it again and said, it looks a bit like a dinosaur. And then they said, but that can't be right. <laughs> yeah. Actually, again, dinosaurs lived with men. And there's there's hundreds of pieces of evidence like that all around the world that dinosaurs coexisted with men. And they probably only went extinct in recent history. Right. You know, you mentioned the cedars of Lebanon. Uh, Simon, uh probably 10 miles from where I sit right now, there's a church that's almost 275 years old. Uh, and it was built in the 1700s and a very, very, very historic Presbyterian church that my family has been a part of for about 200 years. At any rate, 
In the cemetery, there are cedars of Lebanon that were brought here from the Holy Land, uh, I'm told, oh. in the early 1800s, and they've grown, and they're massively huge. I mean, gigantic. You, I mean, I don't know how large the circumference is. And, uh, you know, one or two have died. These, these cedars of Lebanon are 150 to 175 years old, and they were actually brought here by missionaries that had gone to the Holy Land, you know, over a century ago. It's very historic because Israel itself wasn't even reconstituted as a nation until May 14, 1948. Here's my point. In Job 40, when Behemoth has, is described as having a tail like a cedar, I know what a cedar of Lebanon looks like because as a boy mm -hmm. we played under those trees. And when you, uh, an elephant's tail, a tiny little, like a little length of rope or a hippopotamus, and I've, I've been up near hippopotami before, um, behemoth could not have been an elephant or hippopotamus, could it? No, not when you look at the description. That the description is of this mighty beast that Job, that sorry, God is getting Job to behold. You know, behold, behemoth, and he says, "Who I made along with you." In other words, God is the creator of this beast. It's not a mythical creature, as some people would try and say. It's a creature that God made along with Job, and that's true. God made the great beasts on day six alongside men. And so actually the word um, for beasts in Genesis 1, 24 is, is the word behemoth, which is a related word to behemoth. Behemoth okay. is a super beast, yeah. And so there's no problem when you think about it. God made the great beasts of the earth, dinosaurs, and, and the technical description of a dinosaur is, is of, a, of a land animal, and so God made them on day six, and he created Adam and Eve on day six. And just, rem just remember, for those that are listening, because people say, well, what about, you know, the huge dinosaurs with big teeth? Well, just because you have big teeth, it doesn't mean um, that you're carnivorous. And by right. the way, in God's original creation, everything was very good. And the Bible says man and animals were eating fruit and vegetables to begin with. Right. Uh, so wow, no I, wish, I wish we had more time. We've got to get you back because uh, calls are coming in. Uh, we're going to go to some calls. Elizabeth in Missouri, who is a subscriber, by the way, Elizabeth, thank you for being a subscriber. Your, your question for Simon Turpin. Well, I had a question. Rick Renner is running a series on the pre-flood world. And mm -hmm. he is talking about uh, the angels, the fallen angels, uh, cohabitating with humans as well as animals, and that it created monsters and also giants. And then, of course, they were mostly done away with in the flood. But I wondered if part of this dinosaur it could be something to do with that. I just wondered what you and Simon think about that. Uh, let, let me start, and then I'm going to throw to you, Simon. I love Rick Renner. Uh, he's a 
valued colleague and a, a great thinker. And I, I haven't seen his documentary about the pre-flood world. Um, this is big. I've got a brand new book out on 100 Bible questions. And one of the most common questions about the Nephilim of Genesis 6 to the sons of God. Now, l- let me say I'm only speaking for myself here. Um, I really don't believe that the Nephilim of Genesis 6 were fallen angels procreating with women. Um, and I'll tell you why. And Simon, you feel free to agree or disagree. But, you know, the Bible talks about everything reproducing after its kind. Humans procreate with human beings. And um, I, I don't think angels, even demonic fallen angels, I don't think they are corporeal and could impregnate a woman. A, a woman. Uh, now, the, the giants and, you know, um, Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 was eight feet, one inches tall. Um, in, in the interest of time, Simon, what do you say? I, I just, I think that the Nephilim of Genesis 6 were carnal men from the line of Seth. But, but what do you say, Simon? Yeah, I would agree with that interpretation, Alex. I, I don't believe um, that the Nephilim were fallen angels because people say, you know, the sons of God in Job refer to angels. That's true, but they don't refer to fallen angels. And yeah. so there's no mention of, of the angelic realm in Genesis 6. The context is about the, the wickedness of mankind. It's not about the wickedness of angels. The region God sent the flood because was of the sin of mankind, not angels. So I'd agree with you there. And when we think about dinosaurs, many people have problems with that. And the reason they grew so big was was because of their genetics and so we know a lot more about genetics today and so the reason things were bigger in the past has has a lot more to do um with genetics i don't think we need to appeal to the to the to the demonic to explain that um when there are other better explanations of dinosaurs and other beasts you know, we've got one uh, more call, and, and I don't know that we can do it justice, Caleb. I'm so sorry about this. Basically, the Jewish calendar would put the, the current year at 5784. Um, mm-hmm. How accurate do you think that is, Simon? We've only got about 30 seconds. Uh, I, I tend to think it's pretty accurate. Yeah, there's some, yeah, it's pretty accurate. There's probably some years missing there because they would reject Jesus as the Messiah, so modern Jews wouldn't want to admit certain dates correspond to what we believe about the the Lord Jesus as the the Messiah of Israel. But yeah, it's pretty accurate. That's what most modern Jews, um, conservative Jews, would believe today that the world is is around six thousand years old. So we could agree with them on that. Yeah, Simon, we're just about out of time. Uh... Answers in Genesis UK. Thank you so much, my dear brother, for being with us. Folks, thanks for watching Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland, I'll see you next week. Keep us in prayer and tell somebody about Jesus. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.